Hello and welcome to the What The Heck podcast. I'm your host, Glenn. This is a creature feature episode where I look at cryptids. I'll describe them, delve into their history, look at some eyewitness accounts and look at what they might be. Research is as academic as possible and references will be given after the story. This week's creature isn't actually a creature. It's the author of many creature stories. On his birthday, we're looking at H.P. Lovecraft. Howard Phillips Lovecraft was born on August 20th, 1890 in Providence, Rhode Island. His mother, Sarah Susan Phillips Lovecraft, could trace her family back to George Phillips, who arrived in Massachusetts in 1630. His father was Winfield Scott Lovecraft, who was a traveling salesman. He suffered a nervous breakdown in Chicago when Lovecraft was three. Winfield was then taken to Butler Hospital, where he died five years later. During those five years, Lovecraft was told that his father was paralysed and comatose. But evidence suggests that this was not the case, and that Winfield actually died of paresis, which causes an inflammation of the brain and is a symptom of the later stages of syphilis. With his father otherwise occupied, then dead, his upbringing fell to his mother, his two aunts, and his grandfather, who was a prominent industrialist named Whipple Van Buren Phillips. By the time his father had been taken to the hospital, Lovecraft was already reading. He was intelligent, and by the age of five, he was fascinated by 1001 Nights. He was so fascinated that he took on the pseudonym Abdul Alhazred. By the age of six, he discovered Greek mythology and read a book named Bullfinch's Age of Fable. This book was filled with children's versions of the Iliad and the Odyssey. In 1897, at the age of seven, Lovecraft wrote the poem of Ulysses. It was the Odyssey, paraphrased into 88 lines of internally rhyming verse. But that was just the beginning. He had already discovered a new kind of fiction. The year before, in 1896, it's believed that Lovecraft wrote The Noble Eavesdropper. The weird fiction that Lovecraft had written and Lovecraft's love of the weird was supported and probably came from his grandfather, who told him strange tales in the Gothic style. As a child, Lovecraft was lonely and often suffered from illnesses. Many of those illnesses were apparently psychological. He went to the Slater Avenue School, but his attendance was sporadic. Despite this, He spent time there taking in any information he possibly could. 
Around the age of eight, he discovered chemistry and astronomy and began to write journals like the Scientific Gazette and the Rhode Island Journal of Astronomy. He distributed these among his friends. He eventually attended Hope Street High School, where he found his teachers and peers to be friendly, and he developed friendships with other boys of his age. In 1904, Lovecraft's grandfather died. The subsequent and poor management of his properties and affairs caused the family to find themselves in some severe financial difficulties. They lost their lavish Victorian home and ended up in a cramped place on Angel Street. The whole ordeal devastated Lovecraft. He contemplated suicide, taking long bicycle rides and looking into the Barrington River. He was saved by his thirst for knowledge. In 1906, Lovecraft finally appeared in print. He wrote a letter into the Providence Sunday Journal regarding an astronomical matter. Shortly after that, he began writing a monthly astronomy column for the Portuxet Valley Gleaner. He also wrote for the Providence Tribune from 1906 to 1908. The Providence Evening News from 1914 to 1918 and the Asheville Gazette News in 1915. Lovecraft was due to graduate high school in 1908, but suffered from a nervous breakdown that caused him to finish school without his diploma. This and the subsequent denial of access from Brown University were sources of shame to him later in life. Between 1908 and 1913, Lovecraft became a hermit, doing almost nothing except writing poetry and pursuing more knowledge of astronomy. This period drew him into an unhealthy relationship with his mother, whom he had become extremely close to. She was still mourning the death of her husband and developed a love-hate relationship with Lovecraft. In 1913, Lovecraft left his hermit phase in a strange way. He had left the weird behind and began writing letters in verse to a magazine, attacking a romance writer, then defending himself when that caused their fans to respond to the initial attack. This caught the eye of the United Amateur Press Association. They invited him to join and Lovecraft agreed in 1914. He eventually became the president and official editor of the magazine, which he thought saved him. It gave him a renewed interest in doing the things that he loved. This time at the amateur press had reignited Lovecraft's love for the strange. Other authors who had read his earlier works urged him to write again. Lovecraft did so, writing The Tomb and Dagon in quick succession in 1917. He continued to write fiction on the side, whilst continuing to write poetry and essays. All of this was happening as Lovecraft continued to network and write letters to his friends and associates 
leading to him becoming one of the most prolific letter writers of the 20th century. In 1919, Lovecraft's mother suffered a nervous breakdown, ending up in Butler Hospital. Like Lovecraft's father, she never left that hospital. She died in 1921 after a gallbladder operation went wrong. The loss devastated Lovecraft, but he managed to recover enough to attend a journalism convention in Boston a few weeks later. This convention is when Lovecraft met Sonia Green. Sonia was seven years older than Lovecraft and the two seemed friendly enough. Lovecraft visited Sonia at her apartment in 1922 and in 1924, the news broke that the pair had married. Lovecraft moved into Sonia's apartment in Brooklyn and things seemed good. Lovecraft was becoming a known writer and Sonia had a successful hat shop in New York. This happiness didn't last long though. The hat shop went bankrupt and Lovecraft turned down a chance to edit a magazine related to Weird Tales, the magazine that some of his earlier stories had been published in. Sonia's health declined and she spent some time in a New Jersey sanitarium. Lovecraft pivoted his life and attempted to find work, but nobody wanted to hire a 34-year-old man with no formal experience. At the beginning of 1925, Sonia moved to Cleveland to work there, and Lovecraft moved into a different apartment in Red Hook, Brooklyn. This made him feel isolated, even though he had friends in New York. It caused him to become depressed, and the amount of people he calls foreigners in Brooklyn exacerbated that. The new living situation changed Lovecraft's fiction style. His works before Red Hook were more nostalgic, being set in the places of his childhood. But the newer works became bleak, with the horror at Red Hook and he both showing his feelings for Brooklyn. In early 1926, Lovecraft made plans to move back to Providence. The move was solely for him and didn't take his wife, Sonia, into account. Nobody seemed to know where she fit into the plans. He consistently professed his love to her, but his aunts forbid him from bringing her to Providence because a man with a businesswoman for a wife carried stigma. Effectively, this decision ended the marriage and the pair divorced in 1929. In April 1926, Lovecraft returned to Providence. This was the beginning of the Lovecraft that we know. He grew as an accomplished writer and took time to travel to sites along the eastern seaboard that had storied histories. The first year he was back, The Call of Cthulhu was written, which is believed to be his greatest work. In 1931, at the Mountains of Madness was released and The Shadow Out of Time was written in 1934. He wrote more letters 
and helped young authors with their careers, and had cemented his position as a writer of weird fiction. He became concerned with economic issues during the Great Depression, causing him to support Roosevelt and become a moderate socialist. He continued to use his spare time to absorb any knowledge he possibly could. His final years were difficult. In 1932, one of his aunts died. He moved in with his other aunt in 1933. He was still writing, but his later, lengthier and more complex novels were becoming difficult to sell. This forced him to make money by revising or ghostwriting stories, poetry or non-fiction. In 1936, one of his closest correspondents, Robert Howard, died by suicide. The whole thing confused and upset Lovecraft. By this time, Lovecraft was suffering with the illness that would end his life. It caused him increasing pain over the winter of 1936-1937 and he went to Jane Brown Memorial Hospital in March 1937. He died five days later, succumbing to the intestinal cancer that he had been suffering from. Before his death, Lovecraft had set plans in motion. Aside from the shadow over Innsmouth, he hadn't actually had a book published in his lifetime. His friends preserved his stories, creating the Arkham House publishing firm to publish the works of Lovecraft. Over time, Lovecraft's horror and stories have been developed and expanded upon and have spawned the genre known as Lovecraftian horror. The works of Lovecraft are the kind of horror fiction that anyone could go through their whole life never really discovering. I was lucky that I made a friend who loves his works and discovered him that way, learning that I also really enjoy the stories. He has a huge list of stories under his name and they're separated into three separate categories. The first category and the only one I'm looking at today is the Cthulhu mythos. This is usually the one that people discover. It's often just called the Lovecraft mythos because of this, but the Cthulhu mythos was termed by August Derleth, who was one of the people who created the Arkham House Publishing Company. The Cthulhu mythos, at least Lovecraft's portion of it, began with him borrowing story elements from writers that he corresponded with. He had realised that each writer had their own cycle with their stories, and just because something shows up in another story, it didn't mean that it would necessarily become a huge part of the author's cycle. The mythos is attached to other authors due to the brief mentions and ties they have to each other, meaning that literature like the Conan novels are loosely attached to the Cthulhu mythos due to this. Initially, Lovecraft never meant to have a full mythos appear in his books, 
and the creatures within it were meant to only be background elements. However, the mythos kept growing due to deliberate creations from his network of writers, creating a web of unexplainable creatures and artifacts that are part of a pantheon of ancient creatures. Lovecraft called the mythos a pseudo-mythology, and the creatures, at least during the first phase, aren't even major players. The focus is on Arkham, the town that features as a cornerstone of the stories at the time. After Lovecraft's death, other authors took over the pseudo-mythology, and Derleth began to associate the pantheon with the four elements, air, earth, fire, and water. This would become a theme of Derleth. The mythos expanded rapidly because of him. Anything that mentioned any element of anything in Lovecraft's stories was part of the mythos by default, creating a broad canon of monsters, artefacts, and characters. This theme was furthered by other writers who attempted to codify the elements of the mythos. This caused further links between the things in the mythos. The tabletop version of Call of Cthulhu further influenced it all, breaking down the entities into further groupings, like the Great Old Ones and the Outer Gods. It began a continuity-focused stage of the mythos, which has expanded it exponentially. Due to the rapid expansion of the mythos, it has become almost necessary to break it down into multiple interconnected cycles to make it easier to understand. Now we have the Cthulhu or Zothic cycle, the Haster cycle, the Yogg-Sothoth cycle, the Hyperborean cycle, the Yig myth, the Yidra cycle, and the legend of the Elder Gods. This reflects real myths which often have interconnected cycles that overlap and conflict with each other, but also have a gravitational pull that brings in separate stories, like the King Arthur myths did. Today, the Cthulhu mythos is huge and feels intimidating, but it's easy to pick a cycle and pull a single thread at a time. mentioned, Lovecraft wrote the beginnings of a mythology, but he wasn't the only author. There are plenty more. Beginning with August Derleth, who amalgamated the cycles, there are loads of writers. We have people like Robert Howard, Robert Block, Clark Ashton Smith, J. Vernon Shea, Brian Lumley, Lynn Carter, Robert W. Chambers, Richard Seawright, Colin Wilson, Richard Tierney, Mick Farron, Henry Cutner, Frank Belknap Long, Roger Zelazny, Joanna Russ, and even Neil Gaiman. There are many more authors to add to this, but it would take so much time 
that the episode would go on forever. episode about Lovecraft without talking about the wider implications of his writings. His novels themselves have been adapted into movies such as The Colour Out of Space, which is about a strange meteor that falls from space that exhibits a colour that cannot be explained. Every version of the film shows it as a magenta colour, likely because magenta doesn't technically exist as its own colour because of the frequency that it appears at. John Carpenter's The Thing is heavily based on Lovecraft's work, using the unexplainable monstrosities and psychological trauma that it would cause as a medium to tell the story. The book Dagon has also been adapted into a movie. Cthulhu, or derivatives of the monster, have appeared in Scooby-Doo episodes on multiple occasions and Cthulhu itself appears in the opening of Rick and Morty. The book Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff was also adapted by HBO. This brought to light a lot of the issues that came with Lovecraft's work. He was incredibly racist, making that a large portion of his writings, albeit using different people in place of people of different races. Innsmouthers were half fish and were looked down upon by regular people. And the story The White Ape involved the, ma- the man Arthur German and the story of how his family became half ape. It wasn't problematic at the time of writing, but it has come to light in the modern day where it is problematic. Lovecraft even named his cat an incredibly racist name that I won't say here on the podcast. BBC Sounds ran a three-season show called The Lovecraft Investigations, where they dramatised three of the Lovecraftian novels in a modern-day setting. They did an excellent job of rewriting the stories for a modern audience, and an incredible job of linking three usually unrelated stories together with real-world mysteries. Video game adaptations have also seemingly done a good job of writing out the racism, with games such as Call of Cthulhu and The Sinking City, which is not actually a Lovecraft piece, but is heavily influenced by him, managing to tell the stories without being overtly racist. In the latter game, the hatred for the Innsmouthers remains for whatever reason. Victor Laval, a black horror writer, believes that ignoring Lovecraftian horror would be a terrible idea. Instead, he feels that it's a good way to look at some wider fears. Lovecraft's mythos stemmed from a fear of the unknown spawned by his racism. Laval believes it's therefore necessary to spread awareness of Lovecraft's legacy alongside the Lovecraftian mythos by educating and building off of it to create something new while still acknowledging the parts that are loved about the original thing. He means that it's important to shed light on these dark details so that they can be talked about 
and then teach others how to talk about things that are outdated so that they can be identified and changed with new additions to the mythos. Ultimately, the works of Lovecraft are an important part of literary history and talk us through the fear of the unknown that we all have. There are some parts of these stories that are outdated and unacceptable in the modern time. But the theme of that fear is still prevalent over all of it. Maybe especially so in and after the huge change the world has seen in the past couple of years due to the pandemic. I enjoy Lovecraft's works, which are incredibly well written. But I can also understand why many people shy away from them. It's Lovecraft's birthday on the day that this episode releases. Find yourself some cosmic horror and spend your time taking it in. I'll be back on Wednesday for a normal episode. The biography for Lovecraft came from hplovecraft.com. The explanation of the mythos came from a horror obsessive article called A Beginner's Guide to H.P. Lovecraft and an article from the H.P. Lovecraft wiki called Cthulhu Mythos. Other information came from a Vox article called Lovecraftian Horror and the Racism at Its Core Explained. References for the episode will be posted on social media for you to have a look at. Speaking of social media, links to those and other ways to listen are in the episode description under my link tree. You can currently find me on Facebook and Instagram. Patreon is getting an upload of one of the transcripts each week as part of the £3 tier. The link to the Patreon is also on the link tree and, as before, you're welcome to pledge more than £3 a month and I'll find something extra special for the people that do. I do have an email set up on the link tree, but it doesn't open a new email, so that's in the description of the episode too. Send me your spooky stories, unexplained events, and anything else you want me to read out. Or if you have any corrections or issues with things that I've said, let me know and I'll address them as soon as I see the email. The next episode will be out on Wednesday, and next week's creature feature will be released on August 27th. So hold on until then. Thank you.